chaos comes, it's a chance to be initiated. You know, thinking that the United States and its ideas in church have come closest to reflecting reality is like thinking Iceland is the basketball capital of the world. It's actually a psychological disorder. F-O-M-O. Fear of missing out. When a man becomes who he was made to be by God, every day is adventure. Welcome back to the End Sons podcast. I'm Sam. And I am Blaine. And we have been steeped now in the season of Advent for a couple of weeks, but our minds are turning to, to that space of the end of the year, the, the hope and longing for the return of Christ, patterns of what comes next. And I, I've been struck by a few things recently that yeah, I'd like you to, to respond about. But um, the first week of Advent is the week of hope. Right. And something that struck me was that word for people when we entered into it with a group recently and just started praying and asking like, okay, what, what do you do with hope? It actually evoked a lot of pain. Like it didn't go straight to, oh, I'm really hoping for this. And I'm so excited. It went to, I have fragile, vulnerable places that I don't often like to bring into the light. And that's what hope has been for me recently. And that went around the room. That wasn't a theme for one person or a couple of people that felt like it was pervasive. It felt like, hey, what are you looking forward to? And then the person just started weeping and you're like, oh my gosh, there's a lot of pain here, folks. Yeah, it's the conversation on the road to Emmaus. We had hoped that he would be the one to restore Israel. In most cases, in the world that we live in, our hopes are not just deferred, but sometimes so effectively thwarted that even to consider them again sort of surfaces not just a moment, but a story of failed expectations and the desire that things would have gone differently. It's when you live at this moment in time on this side of Eden, the things that you hoped for, it seems like they're almost always the things that you have lost and identify with. That is a tricky thing to look at again what you wanted your life to be or look like. Right. But the alternative is a life spent looking at our shoes, at the thing right in front of us, just at today. And I definitely do plenty of that myself. Um, and I just, I didn't want to, I didn't want to slip through Advent and slip through this season without giving it some pause personally. Um, I know that December and January feel full and fast personally and professionally. My calendars are just packed. And I'm like on this slip and slide speed of like, it's just going to happen. And the next thing I, I know I'm going to blink and it's going to be like January 14th. And I'm going to go, whoa, what just happened? I feel like I've got whiplash, like just this, the pace of a life that full in a season that 
could be uh, restful, contemplative. They could feel purposeful. I actually liked the rhythms in college where you had this pause, this break. It felt like you got this threshold. You got this like, hooray, you did it. You finished that thing. Now you deserve some time off to like recoup and then take another swing at this thing. Like that was so helpful. That felt so orienting. And now that that's gone, it can feel very disorienting and I can miss that season. I was reflecting recently that I have needed some soul care at the end of the summer, at the end of this year, because the year was actually really draining. Um, Susie and I have this practice that I think if you've listened before, I would have talked about or talked about the Ransom Heart podcast. We try to, as a couple, listen for a word or words or a theme for the coming year. Uh, we ask the Holy Spirit to give us a theme for that. And sometimes one of us hears, sometimes the other one hears, sometimes we stop listening, we don't get anything, and those years are particularly disorienting. Um, but the word for this year was frontier. And I think I heard that with a little bit of trepidation. I heard that with a little of like, oh, we are going to be going into some waters that are new, that are treacherous, that are um, unmarked, that isn't abandonment, but isn't comfortable. And those words all now feel like very reduced euphemisms for my year. They feel very like, well, it just wasn't very comfortable. And you're like, oh, no, you're not kidding me. No, really, obviously. And it was a year of some intense pain. And towards the end of the year, I began to realize like I was manifesting trauma brain. I couldn't remember things within two minutes of you telling me you being anybody. Susie had to leave me written notes if she wanted me to do certain tasks and not like a honey-do list kind of way in like a, this is why I have potatoes on the counter for you. This is what you're supposed to do with them. This is when you're supposed to do that thing with them. And the more you learn, the more I learn about the mind and trauma and pain, I was able to go, uh-oh, like this is not a good sign. And so I think as I enter this season, it bears a little bit more weight for me because I want this season of Advent and the season of transition, of longing, of hope, of the new year to be able to address some of those things without just bulldozing straight into 2020. Yes, very significant. Advent is supposed to be a time of reorienting ourselves to a story that makes sense of our reality. But it's hard on a year like, you know, this one, or in fact, many where you come sliding in and what do you do with the fact that it felt hard? That, that lingering thing that I think many people ask of, is it this hard for everyone? Right. I asked Emily, this is like a month ago, do you think other people feel like they are just making it, like skating to the edge of the day? And Em laughed and went, I think everyone feels that way. Mm -hmm. I think that to not feel that way is the exception and is the interesting thing to look for. And it just went, oh, wow. Um, what do you do with this overarching feeling of, is life supposed to be this difficult? Is everyone around me experiencing the same level of difficulty? Well, both sides are a problem, right? Like most people, myself included, can get through most days 
assuming they are the only ones who are just keeping their heads above water. They might look around and go, these guys, my friends all seem to be doing okay. When I interact with them, they're cheerful and excited. And uh, I ask how they're doing and they say good. And so I take them at their face value because I suck at asking secondary and tertiary questions. And whatever word comes after tertiary, Blaine. I'm wondering about that. <laughs> I mean, you wouldn't use it, you wouldn't use it, but quadrinary. Quadrinary, but you wouldn't use it ever? It just- In that context? It's a- like A uh, fourth question. There's a denominative shift. Denominative shift. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't be able to spell that correctly. Uh, point is, it doesn't uh, matter, but there's like, there's a class system for numbers no, I'm for curious about each that. one. So you could go, like, you could go to the hundredth place if you followed the rule. Right. I just don't know what the rule is. Anyway, I think human beings suck at asking the follow-up question and the question that comes after that up to the hundredth question. And therefore, we can get isolated in our painful experience of I'm just keeping my head above water, just getting to the end of the day because I assume that everybody else is doing better. And every once in a while, we'll have a conversation where we're deciding to be honest and it's like, it's been brutal. I am dying. I don't want to be here. I don't want to, I'm hearing all of these different accusations and I mean, go over and listen to the Ransom Heart podcast because they're talking more about this type of thing. But the general experience of being a human being right now, even as a staff, we've been sitting around going, why does it seem like everyone's under this depression, this heaviness? Why does it feel so hard? So that's happening for everybody. And I have two problems with it. The first that I've already been talking about is that you feel isolated and you're the only one with it. The second is that if you're not isolated and everybody else is having that experience, well, that's also not great. Oh, man. Do you remember the D train? Um... This is reaching back in wow. the... Wow, is this like a high school joke? No. Okay. Uh, this was Joe Steinke and the Utopian Slope. Uh-huh. Keep going. What gets nicknamed the D-Train, which is what happens to your heart when there are unmet expectations or lost hopes over and over again? And, AKA your life. Right. So basically... <laughs> What happens to your heart in the world as it is if you don't do anything without intervention? And it goes, the D train is the D words of discouragement. So it just starts with what actually disappointment goes into discouragement. And simply disappointment, I mean, that th this is just the most basic feeling of you show up and the trailhead is closed. You thought you were going to get a morning to do a project and you get a text message. Just the everyday experience of uh, what it feels like to bring a dream to the world mm. and just the ways that that immediately becomes challenged and subverted. Disappointment, which then goes into discouragement, you know, core, heart, that loss of heart. Something begins to happen to you where you are feeling just a little more down than you were before. And this happens, let's just keep it real simple. You undertake some project and let's say you're fixing your fence and the first time you buy the wrong hardware, oh, a little disappointed, a little frustrated, and you go back. But by the third time you've tried something and it's still not working, now you're starting to feel like, maybe I'm alone and this is up to me, discouraged, like something's happening to you. This can go on to disillusionment where the light goes out of your eyes and 
what you see when you see the world, the story you understand starts to shift, which goes all the way into depression, all the way into despair. And you can move quickly through the D trend, you can move slowly, but just to acknowledge of our unaddressed disappointments, our aggregate disappointments are going somewhere and doing something and having an effect such that when I actually look at them and where I go, you know, I have a old motorcycle in my garage that I don't like to look at because it's actually a long way down the D train and the sentence of, oh my gosh, so much work to get it to run again. Mm -hmm. So that when I look at it, this hasn't happened consciously, but I now go, oh my gosh, uh, the seat of that motorcycle in me, sort of the holding place for that has become something that's actually been surrendered. It's somewhere between disillusionment and motorcycle despair where I don't even want to look at it. I don't want to think about it. And that didn't happen with my awareness. Yeah. That slide into darkness is happening subtly all the time and is being suggested and encouraged along all the time. But you're not walking around, Blaine, with like complete and utter awareness of like where you are in the D train and which car you're in. You just walk no, into no, your no. garage and you go, there's the motorcycle. And maybe you mutter under your breath or you feel some sort of accusation and then you're less likely to spend time in the garage. Correct? Is that, is that more like exactly. your experience? Walk into the garage and then turn around and walk out of the garage. And you're like, I feel worse now. I don't know why. You're not walking in the garage going, well, I guess that I can move that along fully into the despair compartment. And gosh, if I could only get off this D train, but I don't know how. Well, I'm just going to go into Cerebro again and have all of the answers. The D train just sounds... <laughs> I, it I sounds it. I like remember what you're you, oh. riding with all of the tools you've ever known. The tools <laughs> meaning like the jerks, the, yeah. the peak of adolescent just horribleness in high school. Um, yeah, not a big fan of that one, but the name is less important than the the reality of like, oh, can we just name for a little bit that there's this weariness... And there are all of these longings that actually evoke a lot of pain when we go, what are you hoping for? And then the person might be like, I have no idea what to do with that question. And you're like, really? Because rebellions are built on hope. So you should probably spend some time having some things that you're not just looking at your shoes about, myself included. I mentioned in the podcast a couple of weeks ago about Thanksgiving, we were talking about... Um, all that and, and naming eight-year-old Sam running down the road. Eight-year-old Sam. So that's that's a place in this season where um, you know where I'm going because this was this was today. There are places that I am learning to offer myself kindness in the ways that I'm aware that I need soul care because of this heaviness, because of the cost of a year, because of I got two hours of sleep last night, not contiguous because I was up with kids who had bowel issues and we had to give multiple showers and change multiple sheets. And I won't go into all the details, but it was exhausting and messy. Right. And then I had an early morning hangout with some guys to lift some weights and that was great, but I'm exhausted. And it's like, that just feels par for the course. That doesn't feel like a, an exceptional evening. That just feels like another damn night. But Sam... You've been identifying this experience in your friends and actually pointing out this experience uh, is one of the great 
apostle traditions of an Acts, it's either Peter or Paul went around encouraging the church. Sorry. Um, <laughs> saying, uh, don't worry. Through many afflictions, you enter the kingdom of God. Or Peter, for sure, in his letter going, take heart, know that your brothers around the world are undergoing the same kind of testing. The kind of, right. this is not just you, but you've been identifying this in people. And right. then what? Well, there is that moment of relief of not being isolated in something. And then you actually have the strength to begin swapping field notes and go, oh, if this isn't just me, then what are ways I can get out of it? And obvious massive ways is to engage it and to pray and to invite God in and to stand against it and contend. And other ways are to invite what feel like silly and foolish and vulnerable practices of defiance against it. And so this eight-year-old in me got to uh, the got to Thanksgiving, got to the end of this year and was like desiring what my eight-year-old self desired, which is to go to Sien Sien, which is the name of the Chinese restaurant. On Garden of the Gods. In this strip mall. No longer there, alas. It doesn't exist. hasn't been there for 20 years. But it was like where we would go occasionally as a family, and it's where we got our Christmas Eve takeout dinner oh, yeah. every year. And chicken I would always get chicken lo mein. Like that spicy. Was, oh, just as spicy as they would let a white boy order it. And I found myself like craving Chinese food. And I was like, I haven't had Chinese food in like a, a while. Um, that's not something I normally eat. I like eating lots of delicious foods. But it was, I found myself quickly going to, that's stupid. You're going to feel bad afterwards. You don't need to eat a bunch of rice and noodles. Like that feels pretty redundant. And I was going quickly to dismissing this voice. It was like, hi, I need this. And instead doing what I normally do and dismissing that person, dismissing that part of myself. I was like, you know what? No, I am going to find a place in town that gets decent enough reviews. It's going to be in a strip mall because it feels like they all are if they're not a chain. And so I invited some people today. I just like walked into Alex's office and Sue's office and was like, I am going to take care of an eight-year-old inside of me who needs... Chinese food for lunch. And th they were so disarmed by that statement of like, this is why I am doing this. It seems silly. It may be bad. We may feel gross afterwards. I'm going to eat a fortune cookie. Who cares? I'm going to have hot and sour soup and chicken lo mein. And actually, I went and sat outside and shed some tears. Like, because there was this part of me that was like, wait, really? You, you want to spend time in like the generosity and kindness and mercy towards places of your heart and story that feel stupid, that feel like you can't do that. That's gone. That's never coming back. And I was like choosing, I, I said, no, I'm going to choose this thing. Stupid as it sounds. And then there were tears and I was like, oh, okay, this is, this is a bigger deal than I thought. So significant. I mean, that thing, it's gone and it's not coming back. Right. That's pretty... Heavy. How, how many very, things do we slap that on to? Right? Because I love other people's problems. Because There's, they're not your problems? Because they're, I mean, I just, I rarely lose perspective uh, on <laughs> other people's problems. There are a few, there so are a few exceptions of like chronic pain. Everybody loses perspective on that one. Yeah. Uh, even other people's chronic pain or 
Uh, but I would, I just go, oh, but the thing, the point of Advent is it is coming back. It is coming back. That that thing that was lost, the dream that was lost, it is coming back. And I think it is his name. I think it's Karl Barth who goes, um, faith is Advent faith. And he went the present the past and future coming of Jesus or fulfilled and unfulfilled promises are related just as dawn and sunrise. And so we anticipate the coming of Jesus in view of his first coming. And it's in that light that faith becomes Advent faith, cutting through all that language now going, that thing that's lost and is never coming back. Um, that, that it hurts so bad to long for it. It's easier just to go, it's gone. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and then retreat from that place as right. far as you can. You know, well, we can't get there. And then call it nostalgia, take revenge on it, do anything you can do to distance yourself from the experience of you have lost something that was very important to you. <laughs> Why am I thinking of the Thanos quote for that? It's like, we do. We like mock it. We run from it. We flee from it. Dread it. <laughs> run from it. Destiny arrives. But it's like sub-destiny for that place still needs tending to. Yes, and... And you can tend to it. Part of the reason we decided to talk about Advent year after year is like, you can tend to it if you, when we grasp the story that's being held out there, which is when I think about the first coming of Jesus, which we reflect on often of, it comes after this 400-year period of silence uh, during which a lot of interesting things happen. And, you know, let's Artaxerxes conquers the world. Alexander the Great conquers the world. Rome conquers the world. So these massive empires destroy completely the dream that was Israel, which, by the way, was already destroyed in the Babylonian captivity, which, by the way, this has never occurred to me. But, you know, tribes, by the time Israel gets taken into Babylon, which is kind of the moment, the way of the exile, it's the thing the church thinks about a lot. I would say, yeah, but by the time that happens, Israel is mostly gone anyway because the Assyrians have already come down and destroyed the northern kingdom of Israel forever. Those guys do not come back. Hang on, hang on. You started by talking about yourself and now we're talking about Babylon. <laughs> is it easier somewhat to talk is about it, history than it is to talk about the present I got to, um, yes, that, <laughs> <laughs> This is another truism. All right, take us back up the rabbit hole to why you think about it so often. You must go deeper into the rabbit hole. No, we must come back the far side of the rabbit hole. Oh, that's more of a rabbit tunnel. Okay. Well, the end of the rabbit tunnel is um, acknowledging that the story has always gone. Actually, the dream is lost and lost worse than I thought it would be. And and that is actually the place where you have some assurance that God is going to come. Um, and so, gosh, oh, where would I not like it, uh, to be different? Where is it not hard to hold on in some sense to the larger story? And Christmas surfaces these things in me because far back in Middle Earth, there are associations of literally the sense of waking up and the world is different and better which feels like it can't be replicated ever again. Uh, Which waking up to the sense, the anticipation of 
um, like miracles coming to your house and maybe leaving some of the residue in it. Like, so that there's this closeness between me and magic that is just key and going. The fact that that experience can't be recreated, it makes it feel like it would, it's just easier to just embrace cynicism and go, ugh, the end of the year, so exhausting. Oh, aren't, aren't the holidays so tiring? Wouldn't it be better if this just didn't happen? Yes. Take this into a specific here, like the the longing, the magic, the like, are you talking about the feeling of Christmas morning versus the, as a kid versus the day after Christmas, which is like the worst day of the year? Because <laughs> I feel I'm like we're actually, still talking about it at an arm's length and I actually got a little confused there. I'm talking about the entire childhood experience of the Christmas season, hmm. the whole experience of the end of the year, which is like, and actually, you know, when I think about being, I don't know, 10 and under, I don't remember the day after being the worst ever. I remember waking up and remembering that I had all this new stuff that was still mine. Yeah, <laughs> uh, that's pretty good. And it, just the feeling of like waking up and going, I still have a twenty two rifle and it's right over there and it's mine still today. Mm. And just the sense of the world is still different. Right. Uh, and it really interesting and to go, wow, I... I don't feel that way very often anymore when I've kind of slid through. Yeah, that's interesting. When did that when did that stop? When did when it, I mean I'm asking that of myself as well. Cuz I do remember that. You'd wake up and you're like, "Yes, I still have that Batman figurine and now I get to spend all of the 26th playing with it." And then maybe it wears off slower. And there's know? leftover cookies and maybe we'll still get somewhere outside or like right. you know, the joys are so concrete and they're still around. Right. Uh, I was just curious when that seems to shift as you get older from I have this lingering feeling of contentment in this hoped for thing to as an adult, I'd say it's probably much more widespread to wake up the day after Christmas and go, all that I was longing for didn't happen. There was some real beauty and perhaps pain in the day of Christmas or the day of New Year's or whatever day seems to hold all of that expectation but like it didn't hold at all it didn't hold all the answers and then you have to like tr go into another day where you're just looking at the next hour totally I would say that the shift is whenever it was that your problem my problem was not fixed by celebration or something special or a gift, or even like the arrival of a day. And I'm tracking this off Christmas, and I can go, you can identify this in uh, kids' birthdays and go, yes, but until you are 21, 30 plus if you want to run for president, uh, it's actually awesome to be one year older. Um, and many people still feel that way, but I don't think with the same kind of exuberance of the kid who's like, I was seven and now I am eight and something wonderful has happened to me. Something has been imparted to me. I am older and go, and, and there's a real satisfaction in the birthday itself, the anticipation of that day when that will happen. Um, and then, you know, you're, when you're 28, turning 29, when you're 36, turning 37, 42, turning 43, there's a kind of, yes, what has happened exactly? Is it 
better? Has a substance been imparted to you that you are grateful to have? Uh, Or does it feel like, oh, actually, instead, the problem has just not stopped. The opposite message starts to be communicated in these milestones, which I would track back onto end of year, culmination of Advent. Do I feel like something changes or gets nourished in me? Or I feel like instead, the the passing of time, it's actually affirms that actually not that much is different. And the things that I'm going to do take such a long time. And oh, gosh, what now? And now while I, now it's that. And I have to figure out travel arrangements to get back home. Right, right. So the question that comes to me is you can't actually hope for something for long that you're not thinking about, that you're not visualizing, that you're not putting smells and faces on, in my in my opinion. Um, I just don't think you're able to do that. And so that's part of like the beauty of the practice of Advent is that you do stir up those things and then you do it like, just pull yourself out of autopilot for an evening. If you just do it on Sundays, we would do it as a family, do the Advent wreath and actually then sing like Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, which Susie hates that somehow that got stirred into Advent. Um, but, you know, you couldn't always sing Oh Holy Night as a, we weren't a family of family band like she was. Personally, can you put some words to tangible things aside from everything being made well and Jesus coming back that you are aware that you are longing for this year that you are hoping for next year? Oh, yeah, that's a great question. Let me reach into that list that I keep mm, of in your breast pocket. tangible things that I am hoping for. Well, I mean, honestly, this kind of does uh, turn a corner because part of, part of what we're talking about here is a shared experience of it looks like it's easier for other people, including your podcast hosts, and to go, oh, no, it's not that uh, in the weeds of my every day, I don't have more perspective than uh, you know, the, the average listener. And yet, there really is an and yet of there are things that we really can take hold of. And disciplines, like your life can be different than, a, that yes, addressing that world is important and going, can we just acknowledge that it's hard? It's not full stop forever. It's full stop into, yeah, man, that actually helps my experience of isolation and validates my everyday life and then go, okay, so if this is everyone's experience, what have people done? And go, gosh, I'm, I'm finally wiring my shed. Super excited uh, to have power in that mini barn that some of you know about. And I'm excited for another week to go by when there will be three more episodes of Mandalorian to watch uh, dudes together. And Advent is the beginning of the liturgical year. So the Gregorian calendar, Happy New Year, that's January. Um, but actually, if you're sort of marching along with the church telling the story, we've just started over. So we just did, you know, with some friends of ours, like a vision night of like what uh, the season is for. And it actually blew my mind that everyone was hearing stuff and that it was all like, yeah, you're moving into a season. And... It's going to be good. And here's the things that are going to be in it. Because my experience of 
difficulty and finality are so pervasive that going like, it's embarrassing to go, oh, wait, these friendships have a future and there's going to be another season that's going to build in. And that wasn't asking for words over the year. That was identifying, hey, just in our life, M, and in some of our friends, there seems to be a seasonal shift. Let's get together and ask some questions about it. And I came away from that with a lot of excitement. But then I've got some freebies like a kid, spring skiing. <laughs> Very similar. Oh, man. I actually don't want spring to come, though, because then my weeds will come back. I'm suffocating them right now by yeah. tricking them into thinking it's summer and then freezing them again. Right. With a tarp. It's a very intentional process you're up to over there with your weeds. As I try to answer, I think of what are you looking forward to or what do you do in order to be looking forward to things? Yeah, as I'm aware of needs, like with the Chinese food example that happened today, I want to be doing a better job of tending to them rather than just medicating them by distraction or caffeine or sugar or screens and any number of things we use to dissociate. I'm looking forward to several adventures and trips we have planned for 2020. And I'm also looking forward to and, and hoping for um, some, some personal writing projects that got lost, got sabotaged by many things. And I could go quickly into shame and accusation there. But that was more of the tone of my question originally. Where like, what are things that when you start thinking about hope, you think of things that haven't happened yet or might happen again. And so I go to things like that of, wow, like those are dreams of mine that didn't happen. And I really would love to see them happen in 2020. And even naming them feels vulnerable because there's the potential that they might not. But I'd rather... I'd rather name them and try and make them happen than just be like, well, life, am I right? I'm just doomed to get fat and resent everyone. So those are some things that come to mind of like very intentional self-care. I'm like, I'm really curious. I'm on this journey of tending to those younger places that are sometimes trying to take over the bus and end up, end up driving off the road because I'm in this tug of war match with many different ages and desires and the 30-year-old me is like, stop it, we're going to go do this. And the eight-year-old me is up cleaning my kid's bed for the third time going, I have been totally abandoned. There is no comfort. There is no mercy. There is no mourning. It's like, oh, okay, this guy needs to, these guys, this guy needs a little snuggling right now. My goodness. And therefore to give that to him, to be like, you are okay. And so I think my hope for 2020 is that there's going to be more of that in terms of self-care and soul care. I mentioned this on the hunting podcast, but that was one of the things I was hoping for while heading out to the woods uh, was soul care. And I got really frustrated by it because I went out there and was like, this doesn't come in a can. I can't just like drink 12 ounces of soul care and then be better again. I can't just fill up the tank at the soul care gas station. And I was so frustrated by it. And so rather than be frustrated for 2020, I'm hopeful that there's going to be some new rhythms there, whether that's an adventure or um, tending to younger places that I have neglected. You talking though about recovering things, uh, it reminds me, something that actually literally this week has been helpful in recovering things 
that have become sources of frustration because of the lack of movement has, um, was asking Jesus, like, what's one of the things set against um, me? And, and then set against a few people around me. And I got the word attrition. And I went, well, obviously, we're all in a war of attrition. And then Jesus kind of went, no, it's the, it's your frustration with actually a, a miscalculation that I made about how long things were going to take. And it's returning to the whole overestimating what the short term should look like and underestimating what the long term should look like. And some of that, I, there really is an invitation on, for unmet hopes, unrealized dreams to go, um, wow, you seem to be wanting, trying to blow that into life again, God. Um, how long, like remind me how long this should take. Remind me what a time frame is that works for this. Um, because then I, it will feel less like the moment has passed and it didn't happen. And more like, again, uh, that actually might be on time, just in a longer story. You wrote something that we read, or you read, last year. It feels like more than that. But it's been long enough that I think it fits to be read again. And it's coming at the end of this podcast. So if you have been listening this whole way through, and I hope that you have, and thank you, um, this feels like a good place to land to me. A good way of just reframing, thinking about Advent, thinking about context, thinking about hope. So if you wouldn't mind. Here's an Advent meditation Kind of the goal of which is to go, okay, you are living in the first century. Maybe you're going to be someone who actually will be a disciple of Jesus when he shows up. But it goes, what is your world like? Who are you? If you are a first century Jew calling out for the Messiah. So to join in the cry for Emmanuel, we must remember again the world from which that cry came. So picture the conquered world you occupy. If you're lucky, you live in the land the Greeks call Palestine for the Philistines, though it is more likely you live in ancient Iraq or late Greece. Your family is battered and stretched and cut off in the dim kingdoms of Persia, Syria, Jordan, and Turkey. You live at the end of 400 years of silence. True, there are itinerants, but then there are always itinerants slapdash prophets coming through with special access to God. None of them is tested and confirmed since Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi, whose final delivered promise hangs tired in the air. I will send the prophet Elijah to you before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of the children to their parents, or else I will come and strike the land with total destruction." Elijah's not shown up. Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi are so long dead. Not even your grandmother's 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 grandmother remembers them. You've seen Persia conquer the world, and then from the West, the rumored Macedonian, Alexander the Great, Aristotle's pupil, come sweeping back through Gaza a hundred years after Malachi. Fifty miles from Jerusalem, Every man was executed and every child was sold a slave and he drove on to Babylon where his life gave out and his kingdom splintered. 
then the Syrian Seleucids, then the Maccabees, the Jewish rebel warriors of Judea arose and scoured the temple and ruled a hundred years before the coming of fabled Rome. Even now, the hills are full of radicals. You live in a world crowded with sorcery and spirits. There are magicians in every town to curse your enemies for a tiny fee, sorcerers to tell you the future. In the temple, you might see at night the Greek spirits of Aphrodite, now Venus, and Apollo slink over the landscape to slouch at the temple wall and suck at the worship there. And still, ancient Baal, called Molech, and his wife Ishtar, worshipped as the queen of heaven, interrupt the dark with sacrificial fires, fed as far as Carthage. In Judea, they whisper in the ear of the fey Jewish king Herod. There are angels and worshipers of angels. You cannot leave the city, you trip on a spirit. And in every town, there's a person or two with a deadpan look. Try for their eye, and you'll see uncorrupted malice looking back as though through a peephole. Some foul thing has yanked on their body like an oven mitt to grasp at the world, and there's not a thing to do. Foul spirits take their due, and there's nobody to pull rank on them. One other thing. That old dream of an independent nation is gone, and so the meat of the dream, a dwelling place for God among man, seems every day vanishing. The last king of Judah is gone like a myth. Their names are incantations, Azor, Zadok, and Akim. Their descendants are thick-fingered construction workers whose mean country slang is so hard to understand they can't order coffee. I'm descended from David on my father's side. That's good for you, but the deck needs building. The promises of God are out there, stubby and fallow. And the great I am, who crushed Egypt with one hand, whose crier is the wind and whose voice is like the sea, who competes for creation with spear and drawn sword. Who knows? The last thing he said was he promised to come. Suddenly, the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come. And then us, good grief, where to start? Well, Rome burned, and a hundred things happened after that. The Germans call it Weltschmerz, world weariness. So many things have happened, it's hard to parse out what's what, but locally, it's like this. We find ourselves in the same cycle of isolation, the same betrayal at work, the picky uni neighbor leaving a note to move your car, move your church, quiet down, the same marital fight, it's starting along the familiar track, but there's nothing to do about it. And inside, you can feel, literally feel, your heart cracking again on its original fault lines. Your alcoholic dad, depressed sibling, borderline mom, raging aunt, uncle, cousin, haughty vendor, blood-red road rager, the kid that didn't make it, the bright line of saints rising, worshiping, vanishing, the best friend who held on and held on and then let go. It's still true, everyone you know is a mist vanishing at dawn. We've got a hundred places calling for Jesus to become incarnate in our darkness. We are every one of us, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, known by their Babylonian names, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, standing before the imperial Babylonian king while he leans in and says, no God can save you from me. And we reply, he has and can and will. Good thing is, all the resources of heaven are open now. 
though it does tune the ear to all creation groaning. Good thing is, the dawn is already in the east, though it does aggravate our desire for so many folks to turn their faces just a fraction to see it. The message of salvation has come down to us, passed hand to hand across millennia, like water coming from the bucket brigade. The last thing Jesus said was, there's no last thing this time. I'm sending my spirit to you. You can hear God, every one of you. You can walk with God, every one. You can join in the fight for creation, hand to hand, house to house. It is the most savage knockdown fight ever seen between sworn enemies for a future which one knows it will never know or see. It is for the last lingering moat of creation. Every heart is a contest. As the triune God said through the prophets, I don't want anyone to die. If a sinning man turns from his ways, not one of the offenses he has committed will be remembered against him. He will live. As he said again through Peter, the patience of God is salvation. And though a day is like a hundred years and a thousand years is like a day, the Lord does not hem and haw with a promise. Understand he's on his way. You live in a moment where the enemy put the ax to the root of meaning itself a long time ago, propped up the self-life and the flesh to crack the sluice gate and let the darkness out. The effect is you can be whatever and nothing means anything. Humans and spirits vie in the temple now to gobble adoration. Let everyone do what is right in their own eyes. Basically, the same crooked heart is an affliction everywhere. This is our moment. Jesus came and initiated the end of the world. We are living in the eschaton, though what we call the last things are really the first things, a putting to rights of God's universe so we can finally embark with decent footing on the destiny for which all creation was built. In the background, you could, if you leaned in, hear the chorus rising fraction by fraction. The air is packed with witnesses while the darkness and light grow up together. Make no mistake, we are calling for Emmanuel. We are not asking for what is best in people. We are not asking for justice. We are not asking for relief. We are asking Jesus to come, the thief in the night, the master returning, the king on the journey, the heavens vanishing with a final roar. Come like you did before, rod of Jesse, dayspring, desire of the everlasting hills. Jesus, savior of the nations, come.